0: The sad thing is that I read every major network science study over 50 years of the field, and I can summarize it all with be a good human being, right? But for most of us, we don't know, like, we don't know what that means, or remember. But it means taking the 30 seconds. When someone pops in your head, it does not, maybe 15 seconds even. It does not take a long amount of time if you know that person's email address or, or text you know, their phone number or if your phone knows for you, which is great because then all you need to do is remember. it, And it takes 30 seconds to send them that.
1: This is Matthew Del Negro, and you're listening to 10,000 No's. No matter what you do or where you are in your life right now, I'm pretty sure you've heard the word no more than once. And some of those no's might make you feel like you don't want to get out of bed. This podcast is here to tell you, you're not alone. If all these people can walk through the valley of no's to get to their yes, why can't you? Yo, sup? How y'all doing? Everybody chilling? (laughs) Oh man, I think I'm losing my mind. My family is on the East Coast. I'm here alone. I am uh, working on a new show. It's a comedy, so I've been doing a lot of laughing. I am having a blast. And um, as I'm sitting down to do this intro, uh, (laughs) I'm just just realizing i hope i hope i haven't been too precious on this podcast uh hopefully that's not the case i i, I don't think so but um you got to give me feedback if uh if that is the case because while i do aim to kind of educate and inspire here with these stories and with these guests and you know we're talking about big things like inspiring and encouraging to go on and and all these big themes but you know, there's gotta be some levity here. We gotta laugh at ourselves a little bit. Uh so hopefully that has been kind of uh woven into the DNA of the show. But if it's not, please let me know. Please give me your feedback. Info at ten thousand noscom dot com. That's the number ten thousand one zero 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 NOS dot com. Um <clears throat> I always I always love the feedback and um, I always appreciate you dropping by. And a quick note, if you are a friend of mine or a relative mom that's even you uh, and you're feeling guilt that you haven't listened to all the episodes, please stop. That's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, do you know how many hit TV series I've wanted to see, but I've yet to get to? Honestly, my wife is probably the only person who's listened to all of these episodes. And that's because she runs about a gazillion miles a week. So shout out to you, D. Always great getting your feedback. Um, she really, she is so consistent. And so it's actually kind of cool because I have her feedback and she's usually the first one and she reads them, you know, I mean, listens to them uh, the morning that they come out. Uh, so that's kind of great. Um, and for the rest of you, I'm I'm just psyched that this is this is landing um, with so many of you. I mean, I love the random emails, the texts, the the social media posts, iTunes reviews, where you guys tell me that some guest said something that made the dime drop for you, or that the whole podcast is encouraging you to keep going, or or go out and do something you were afraid to do before. I mean, it literally makes this all. Worth it. So thank you. Um, I've got David Berkus with me today. David is a best selling author, a sought after speaker. His TED talk has been viewed almost 2 million times, and he delivers keynotes and workshops at huge Fortune 500 companies that are household names. He's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, he's an associate professor of leadership and innovation at Oral Roberts University, where he was recently named one of the nation's top 40 under 40 professors who inspire. Man, my guests make me feel like a slacker. Uh, David and I spoke at length about the concepts of his latest book, Friend of a Friend, which offers readers a new perspective on how to grow their networks and build key connections. And it's based on the science of human behavior rather than rote networking advice. Um, It's a little different than the usual episode for me here. Uh, As you guys know, if you've been with me for a while, it's usually kind of how did you get to where you are today what you know what was your life like that led to this you know we get into the nuances of whatever it is that the person does but we kind of go to their origin story we didn't really do that so much you know david and i um you'll hear in the beginning i'm not going to say it now but you'll hear how i i found him which is kind of a, a cool little story um but this is really an episode that is hopefully giving all of you tools to do what you do better, because he's all about connecting. He's all about kind of, um, you know, increasing the circle, not only the circle of influence, excuse me, not only the circle of influence that you have over others, but also, you know, how others can help you. Um, And it's what I really like is he's just, it's just very plain spoken. He He's not like a highfalutin. He kind of like puts it in brass tacks. It's like, this is what it is. And it's, you know, it's it's very simple approach. And it's it's kind of, I gravitated to David because I, I, I thought that I could use a lot of the information that he is, you know, within his domain that he's an expert in and, um, and yet he does it in a way that's very accessible. So hopefully you will agree with that. And um, you'll hear from me at the very end with the what I think are the takeaways. But for now, David Burkus. All right. Well, I, I heard you on Jordan Harbinger's podcast. I, I loved you. I love your message and you sound really smart, but also you actually have takeaways because the way I contacted you was kind of like, I listened to you talk about uh, network science and the science of human behavior. And when I was done, I, I'm new to LinkedIn. I just did it because of this podcast. And I was like, hey, I'm just going to reach out to this guy and say, I loved you on the podcast and I'd love to have you on. And I had Jordan on mine. And and next thing I know, you answered and here we are. So it's kind of... Um, you inspired at least one person that was listening to you.
0: <laughs> that's, that's fantastic to you know. If I remember it, yeah, you basically like copied the playbook of how to do like cold outreach uh, to to me, which was awesome. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's good to know um, that we've got at least one fan. From you that got show. one, you
1: got I, one. I, fan. I
0: hope, sincerely <laughs> hope, we have more. But hey, I, that's good enough.
1: I'm imagining you have more. I saw that you have a <laughs> a, a TED talk that has been seen one point eight million times. That's got to feel pretty good. Uh, i I watched that, and uh, it was it was very cool. kind of a different topic, I and mean, we can get into that a little bit too, but i'm I'm interested in uh, a lot of the the uh, principles that you talked about in Friend of a Friend, your book. Um, and And it's funny to have you here on 10,000 no's, I was thinking about this. I'm like, well, I, I do want to get into your story the way I do with with guests here, but I'm also thinking you are just great for my listeners because I think what you do reduces the amount of no's that someone will have to hear um, because your, your procedures or your beliefs or your philosophy, I think just leads to more yeses because it's smart and it's practical and it's like it's not it it's not complicated. You really kind of distilled it down. So, uh could you talk a little bit tell tell some some of us about what it is that you kind of, you know, like the overall gist of it with friend of a friend?
0: Yeah, so I mean the the big idea for the book is and I think you're exactly right R- Rory Vaden and I actually sort of explored that um in a sales context of sales being a numbers game so you're going to get you know, a thousand no's for every yes, then that just means you got to go make it that. But through the, the sort of warm networks, et cetera, that you can work, you can shorten those odds. And the, you know, the big idea for, for a friend of a friend is that it's a, it's a different kind of networking book. So there's a ton of books about how to grow your network or how to add connections, et cetera. And, and all of them really fall down into one or two people's advice. Right, they're advice books. They're this person who is, you know, some sort of rock star mega networker saying what he or she did to to grow that network, and then presumably you could do the same thing. And I think for a lot of people, like then you go try and put that advice into practice, and you feel kind of weird and a little bit sleazy and inauthentic is the nice word to describe how a lot of people feel when they're trying to apply this advice. Well, that makes perfect sense if you're trying to do somebody else's advice unless your situation is really similar to theirs you're trying to be someone else in that moment so the the big idea from friend of a friend at least for the inspiration for the book was That, what if there were a book that taught, here's what's universally true about all networks, right? The one that you're in, the one that I'm in, the one that all 7.4 billion people on the planet um, are in. And when you look for what's universally true, then you end up diving deep into network science. And actually, one of the first things that sort of changes in your mind when you start looking at, principles from network science and how they explain your network is that calling it your network is the wrong thing. You don't have a network. I don't have a network. You can't grow your network. We exist inside of a network already. And the sooner you realize that it's much more about what's going on in the totality of that network, figuring out where you are in that network and how to navigate that network, rather than just grow the number of connections you have, uh, you know, email addresses in your address book or what have you with, it's more about understanding the whole sort of network. You end up trying traveling a whole lot further, getting a whole lot less nos uh, and getting a whole lot more yeses because you're sailing that network properly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And and now just a a kind of a simple question. Were you good at this naturally or were you horrible at this? And that's why you studied it and became good at it. Like, like would you have considered yourself prior to all of this, like growing, would you have considered yourself a guy who is more of a connector or were you Like, where did you fall in that spectrum?
0: Yeah, I mean, was I good or was I bad? Uh, Yes, would probably be the best answer. (laughs) Yes, Um, both. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you know, where where I came from this is that I was just fascinated by the research, right? I was just, I had written about, I have two prior books. I have a little bit of like intellectual ADHD where I just kind of go or whatever I'm interested in. Um, and those in both of those prior books, we wrote about some studies from network science. And so I started reading some, and then you go down this rabbit trail and you start to read all this stuff. And to some extent it, it explained, um, a lot of the opportunities that I've been given in my life have come through that. So I'm a writer, right? And then now the one, th- the, probably the biggest thing you know about me and a writer and network, network science and all of that sort of stuff is that I do not live in New York City or Los Angeles or really any of the top major cities for being in the literary world, right? I live in the middle of the country. I live in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the 47th most populated city in America, right? So it's not exactly this natural organic network. That's just going to come to me, right? Like the first thing you tell people, whether they want to get into writing, film, television, music, whatever is, you, you point to the city they're supposed to move to and you tell them to go there, right? I didn't do that, um, so I had to be a little bit more intentional about how do I um, cultivate these connections. How do I figure out where I am on the fringes of this network that I want to be a part of and, and move through it? So I don't know that it, it wasn't that I read all of this stuff and then I put it into practice and boom, here I am. It was more looking back at oh, this explains why certain things worked and other things didn't. This explains why this happened to me back in you know 2010, and this explains why I got why none of this outreach that was super cold and weird worked either. It was much more. And I think that's really the experience. Now we're about a month from when the book has come out. That's most people's experiences reading the book is that the first thing it will do is explain. This is why some things you've been doing work. And this is why other things you've been doing didn't work.
1: Right. Right. And what, what are some of those, what are some of those things we'll start with what didn't work? Like what is that like kind of putting on, Trying to put someone else's program into your computer and and feeling like, uh, which is what I think most people, myself included, when you hear, one of the things I liked that when I heard you speak um, was you said, it, you know, it's not networking, it's network science. Because anytime I've heard ne- the word network, you got to go network. I mean, that's a big one when you start out being an actor, like you got to go network. And I'm like, oh, that sounds... That sounds awful to me um, <laughs> you know, like, and I'm not good at it. and yet in in my life like when I when I'm just being me in my life and whether it was in college or social settings, I feel like I am relatively connected to people and and I don't have a problem and, and but as soon as you put that title on it networking it seemed dirty to me it seemed like ulterior motive to me and I I enjoy, I would love for you to kind of explain to people that the thing about not looking out to get like gaining more people, but just looking at the people that you already know, or it was something about cold leads or, or, you know, just people that, that, you know, but you, you kind of like, you haven't reached out to them in a while. And just talk to us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, and and dirty is actually a perfect word. They're actually, there's literally a research study that asked, took two different groups of people, randomized who gets in one group. One group gets asked to think about a time where they had to reach out to make a new professional connection, sort of the instrumental networking. And another was asked to recall a time when they reached out and they made a new friend, right? And no surprise, this is why the book's called Friend of a Friend. No surprise, the people who, uh, they, they do a bunch of other, st- you know, tests afterwards and the people who are reaching out, to do sort of an instrumental networking are more likely in a bunch of tests of subconscious attitudes, more likely to feel dirty, like literally dirty, have subconscious thoughts of getting clean um, than are the people who are thinking about it as a friend. Right. And I think, I think fundamentally this is because when people hear that word networking, yo, know, you gotta go network, what they what they mean, I mean, so many people's definition of networking is meeting strangers, right? And the yeah. truth is you don't need to meet strangers. But you also can't be around those same five people that you're always around because, you know, every opportunity that they're aware of, you would already be aware of. Right. And and when you look at the entirety of the network that you are in, the most potent combinations, the sort of low hanging fruit are not total strangers. They're not close contacts. They're what we call weak or dormant ties. And these are two different categories of people, but it, it, in general, both of them are people that are, if you picture your network, not as a list of contacts, but as a three-dimensional series of, you know, circles and connect, circles and lines, the way, if if you're having trouble visualizing this as you're listening, just do like a Google image search on the word network. There's all sorts of clip art. That's what I'm talking about. The circles and lines, the way people are connected to, the spider webs. And if you think about it, you're weak and dormantized the people that are further away in that network they're people whose close contacts are different than yours they're people who are in a different area of the industry they're people with access to information that your close contacts and you don't already know the difference is so similar to strangers the difference is you already know them they're already your friends you just haven't talked to them a lot in a while in the case of a dormant contact or you haven't talked to them enough in the case of a weak tie right? So a, a weak tie is someone you know, but you don't know that well. A dormant tie is someone that you you uh, know, and maybe you even knew well, maybe that you were even a close friend, but for some reason or another, maybe one of you moved or got a job change or something like that, you stopped talking to them. Those people, because they're somewhere else in the network, are much more likely to have new potential introductions to you, new information, new ideas, new opportunities, and yet most of us ignore them, right? We, go, we, we talk to our close connections, and when that doesn't work, we take that advice that we need to go network and we go show up at some event and try and meet total strangers. But if you make it a regular habit to be checking back in with all of those weak and dormant ties on a regular basis, not just when you need something, then what you'll find is you become aware of opportunities and information and perspectives you weren't previously aware of. You'll find ways to serve the whole network that, that you're in by introducing your weak ties to somebody else. Maybe they need something and you have an introduction in your network that can provide it, or vice versa, they have yours. I think this is probably the the number one thing most people overlook, it's why we called it the subtitle, is sort of understanding the hidden networks that can transform your life. These aren't really hidden, they're just ignored. Most of us kind of jump right from close contacts to that total strangers thing. Then we feel dirty. Then we decide we don't want to do this again. And then we just think, ah, this isn't for me. And that's why most (laughs) people think that networking is a four letter word. I mean, it's not, it's a 10 letter word. Um, but that's not the the point. The point is most of us have sort of tried that and we forgot what it would be like to just catch up with old friends. And the weird thing is that most of us have been on the receiving end of someone trying to catch up with us sometime. And you know, just, you get that email or that text message is, Hey, I was thinking about you today. Cause I saw this and I wondered how you were doing. That feels good. Most of us like to receive that. Most of us like to know that other people are still sort of thinking about us and catch up with old friends. Like, so, that's what most of networking should be about, not running around trying to craft the perfect elevator pitch and work a room. That's I mean, it's not necessarily a waste of time, but it's nowhere near as effective and nowhere near as enjoyable as those weak and dormant ties.
1: Yeah. Well, you you had said something um, th- about, you know. Sharing, I mean, as I'm listening to you, it's like add value. That's a kind of a recurring theme I've just heard from every guest on my show, which is, you know, add value before you're looking to get value from someone. And um, th- that is something about like, if you see an article, you know, send the article to your friend you haven't seen in a while. And you're like, oh, I, you know, I thought of you. And I, And when it first came up, I thought, oh, does that seem again, does it seem like ulterior motive? And then I like, right after I had heard you say that my best friend texted me, uh, you know, uh, an interview with an actor and he sends them to, and all of a sudden I was like, huh, he sends them to me all the time because we're tight. And I always love them. I always, I always read them. And sometimes I don't get right around to them, but they always apply to something we've been discussing or whatever. And I was like, that does make perfect sense. In a way, that's one of our bonds. I do the same thing back to him. And why not? It's it's almost like this simple... Um, it's kind of like you've just taken the next step, which is... Because a lot of times I'll see something, especially in my industry, you can see a buddy that you haven't seen in a while in a show and I'll text them, hey, you know, saw you in this, how's it going? Whatever. Great job, blah, blah, blah. And you but but a lot of times you you'll see it you'll think it and then you won't for me at least I won't do it and and it's kind of like one of those simple things of just it's it's kind of like just be a good human being you know make someone yeah. make make someone feel good like oh i i mean i would love to hear that if somebody saw it and and they go oh i saw you in this and you're like oh cool you know i'm not getting anything out of it but it's nice to hear you know,
0: Yeah, no, I mean, I can, it, the sad thing is that I read every major network science study over 50 years of the field and I can summarize it all with be a good human being. Right. But for most of us, we don't know, like, we don't know what that means. Remember, but it means taking the 30 seconds when someone pops in your head, it does not, maybe 15 seconds, even it does not take a long amount of time. If you know that person's email address or, or text, you know, their phone number, or if your phone knows for you, which is great. Cause then all you need to do is remember it. And it takes 30 seconds. To send them that. The, the easiest thing to do, actually, this takes a little bit more, maybe a minute, maybe 60 seconds. The easiest thing to do is the next time you're mindlessly scrolling on Instagram or Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or whatever you know, tool you're addicted to, right? And you see someone post something about their life. Hey, I just got a new job working on this show, right? Or hey, we're moving to Chicago, right? Or, or we're going on vacation to the, you know, to the Bahamas. Wh- whatever it is, right? Don't just click like or comment. Take the 30 seconds to go to some more intimate medium. This is what Jordan would call sort of the the totem pole of intimacy, right? Or I I forget his his totem is in there. I just don't remember what the rest of it is. But (laughs) go to a a little bit more intimate medium. Send them a text, send them an email, give them an actual phone call. It obviously depends on the strength of the relationship and say, hey, I just saw you announce that you got a job in a new show or hey, I just saw you were moving to Chicago. That's fantastic, congratulations. Maybe throw a piece of advice in there. Like you can skip pretty much every, uh, deep dish place except Lumalnadis and Giordano's and possibly Gino's East, right. But skip the rest of them, you know, it was something that would be helpful. And then, and here's the key, right. Then just follow it up with, you know, besides that, what else is new, right? Just ask another, and you don't even have to say what else is new, but just ask one more question to signal that this is a conversation and then see where it goes. You'll probably spend the next, you know, over the next two days, you'll send a couple texts back and forth to each other and do a little bit of catching up and that's all it takes. You don't need to be having endless coffee meetings with people or going and planning these sort of elaborate 50 person group dinners to catch up with people. I mean, those things work, but really most of us haven't even begun a regular habit of doing the basics. And if you start just by doing that, you'll find letting the conversations go where they will, you'll find a way bigger return on investment of your 30 seconds a day.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's something that happens that I feel, Like you can get isolated from people and if you're isolated, you know, for too long and then it comes to somebody saying like, hey, let's grab coffee or let's grab lunch or whatever, that feels like a really big commitment that can sometimes be awkward or maybe it's not awkward. Maybe you really do want to do it, but you're just, you know, you've got a family and a career and all these different things and you're like, how am I going to schedule in an entire an entire lunch when we, you know, instead of if you were going back and forth to someone, then it just, it naturally evolves. It actually feels
0: less weird. Right. I mean, I hate to break it to you. Nobody wants to have coffee with you. I mean, especially if you live in LA, nobody wants to have coffee. That's like a three hour commitment. I know we think of it like 15 minutes, but the time it takes, we'll schedule it. We'll drive over there. That alone is like an hour and a half. Um, then we'll talk for a while. It's, it's a, it's actually a relatively big commitment of time where you can't be focused on any one thing. And that's where I think little messaging things like, like a, a text message or like a, you know, a direct message or a quick phone call, right. Or even better, you start out sending them a text message. What else is new? You go back and forth. And then there's something where this happens to me actually with, um, Jordan, I feel like this is, he's like the third person in the room. I should have invited him on this call yeah. um, where we'll text back and forth. And then it'll be that moment where you realize it'd be a really long message. and You just pick up the phone and call them, right? Like the amazing thing about technology is yes, it's never been more easy to be distracted by scrolling mindlessly through a newsfeed or playing angry birds or whatever. It's also never been easier to have ongoing conversations with multiple different people at the same time and only actually have to say something every day or so, but have this long longer conversation where you're actually helping each other, giving advice to each other, offering introductions to each other, etc. that doesn't require a sit down face-to-face hour and a half together over lunch anymore. Those things are great and certainly do them, but don't think that if I'm not doing them, there's nothing I can do. There's a lot that you can do that is simpler and requires less time.
1: Right. Right. Well, you know, you bring something up that, um, that I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, which is, okay, so you're always, you're kind of, in a way, always on in terms of like thinking of, oh, okay, I'll reach out with them I'll reach out. Now, do you have kids? I don't know if you have kids. I do.
0: Not. I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old. Okay. So,
1: what? and I have a, a 10 and a seven. And so, where do you find, like, it sounds like you're very well connected and consciously connected to a lot of different people um do you do you give yourself kind of limits when you're around your kids like you're not going to do this or are you still like like do, do you find that to be a battle where um you're like, well, I should be doing this, this and this, you know, business wise. But I also want to just be present here with my family. I want to be present here at home. Do you kind of give yourself office hours? How do you how do you deal with that?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah, to to some extent. I actually what's funny is you, you ask. I actually just wrote a piece for um, Harvard business review called the sort of how to make time for networking as a working parent. Right. And the idea, I mean, so yeah, ideally a lot of this would happen when you're not around your, your kids, either they're at school or you're in your sort of whatever your normal work hours are, if you have them, um, or some sort of separation. So most of my days I work out of the house and there's a different floor that I'm on when I'm working versus them. And actually, so this is, this is a broader technological thing that I do. Um, is I have a a cell phone and a, a tablet, right? And the tablet stays upstairs, the cell phone's downstairs or travels out of the house with me. Right. And when I'm, I don't, when I'm done working and it's time to go back upstairs where like the kids are, et cetera. And once they're home from school, I switch to the tablet. The difference is what's on it. The tablet doesn't have social media other than like my super private Facebook page. The tablet has, you know, reading apps and movies and what have you. It doesn't have email. It doesn't have any of that sort of work stuff. So I do sort of draw those limits. On the other hand, there are often things like to speak of weak and dormant ties, there are often times where I think it's possible to sort of integrate the two. So one of my um, good buddies has become a good buddy of mine over the last uh, couple of years is a guy by the name of uh, Derek Coburn. And Derek writes around this networking space, et cetera. He plans this um, regular ongoing series for entrepreneurs in the DC area. And we've gotten to be friends because he's actually, the funny thing is I was researching him for an example for my book, for a case study. And then th- his case study got cut. So I feel kind of bad about that <laughs> but, You know, then it just happened that we were, uh, my family and I were on vacation in DC and I would have loved to do like the, Hey, let's disappear from my family and go grab lunch or whatever. Um, but I also would have loved to not have to leave my family but he also has kids who so we were like, well, why don't we just, why don't we just go to the zoo and we'll take them to the zoo and we can just kind of walk the the national zoo thing. And we can talk about our stuff, but let them all run around, et cetera. Like there there's points where you can integrate and there's points where you have to draw the lines. I don't think it's an either, or, I think a lot of people that, I mean, if you're using family as an excuse for why you can't find time to reach back out to weekend dormant ties, to write quick introductory emails, et cetera, then you're really, you're looking for excuses. Sure. You can't go to that cocktail party every single night or that premier party or that launch party, whatever. Yeah, I get that you can't do that, but there's not nothing you can do. There's still things you can do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now you, you just mentioned something about, um, email, you know, sending an email. You had something I saw, I believe it was on your website about the wrong way to introduce people over email. Can you give us- what you're talking yeah.
0: about. So, I mean, most people, and, and uh, thankfully there's a growing movement of people that are, that are following this practice. Um, but it's still not the majority. So most people, if you're doing an introduction, right, you're having a conversation with somebody and I, and I love that you want to introduce to people in your network because it's a great way to provide value that, uh, really is exponential compared to sort of your own wisdom. Like the likelihood that someone, when you're reaching back out to a week dormant tie, the likelihood that they uh, have a problem that you are uniquely qualified to solve is minimal but the likelihood that you know someone who might be able to help is is far bigger, right? So introductions are a regular part of this game of, of cultivating the network that you're around rather than just paying attention to how many people you know. However, what most people do is they go, oh yeah, yeah, I know so and so, let me let me just introduce you, right? And they'll either like, I mean, this is one area where the software on smartphones makes it so easy, they'll just like text you the contact information for that person, right? And then let you just name drop and then work your way, in, which, you know, that works, but it's a little weird. Um, Or they'll just do that introduction where they'll go, Hey, so-and-so, you know, meet each other. I thought you'd be great for this, but, but they'll share, you know, everybody's information. And in fact, that's what I used to do a long time ago until I got rebuffed by um, an author friend of mine that I really admire whose career is a lot further um, than mine. And I was, I thought he was the right person to help this other person and, and he was gracious and willing, but then he sent me a private message afterwards. I was like, dude, not cool to just send my personal information out there whenever you want. Please you know, check with me first. And that's when I started looking for like, okay, what's the best way to do this? And I stumbled into the double opt-in introduction, right? And the double opt-in is exactly what it sounds. It's when you're with that person, person A, that you actually want to introduce to another person, person B, you don't say, oh, I'll introduce you. You say, let me check with them and see if I could connect you to. Right. And see or see if they're open to it, whatever you want to do. So you're not you're not committing person B without them knowing to talk to you. You're just telling a that you're going to look into B and then you go to person B and you go, hey, I was just talking to person A. Uh, I think you guys would be a really good connection. They needed a little bit of advice here or they offer this. And I know you said that you um, need that. What, whatever the reason for the introduction is, right? Would you be okay with me introducing you? And, and if they say yes, right, then you actually write the email where you're exchanging information and you could do this. Email seems to be the easiest one for it to do, but it can happen in other mediums. Um, but then and only then after both parties have individually been given the chance to opt in, do you actually do it? And if, if person B doesn't opt in then you just go back to person A and go, Hey, you know what? And it's not a right time for them uh, for, for such and such reason. I'll, I'll keep an eye on it, but if there's an opportunity, but you know, how else can I help instead of blindsiding person B, with this random person that now has their email at their personal email address and is asking them for all sorts of stuff. The other thing that I do that I think is important to do in that, that introductory email, once they both opted in that you connect is you whatever you say in your introduction as glowing a a introduction to each other, as you want to put, make sure it's very clear who is taking the action next in the cases that I'm bringing up. It's usually person a, but you don't want to leave both parties just sitting there with the email in their inbox waiting for who's supposed to reply, right? Be very specific about like, Hey, can you follow up with the time? It'd be good to jump on a phone, right? Or, or whoever it is, let that, let both people know who should be taking action next.
1: Huh? Well, first of all, when you're talking about connecting person A and person B, I'm cringing a little bit because I'm just thinking, I'm usually pretty good about that, but I'm just, <laughs> like, I'm thinking Yo, about all, something. I mean, we all have
0: embarrassing moments in our past. Yeah.
1: I mean, I was never called out on it, but I also kind of never heard, it. it it's, it's one of these weird things where something was just let lie and I, and it wasn't even like I knew you know person B that well I was trying to help them out and I'm I'm just you know sifting through my memory going oh okay uh not good on that one <laughs> but I in general I I feel like I'm mindful of that it's interesting to hear you say that what the the big one that I just heard there was um making sure that you put an expected action you know, kind of stated at the end, like this is what's gonna happen next. I don't know if I've fully thought through that. that's that's great because it just gives it lays the groundwork so nobody feels weird, like, oh, am I being pushy? if I now reach out to this person who's gonna be helping me, or yeah.
0: That's yeah. And, I mean, smart. usually, usually it comes up like when you go to B and you say, I'd like to introduce you to A, usually their preferred method or what it looks like, whatever, like usually that context for what the right next action is comes up. Um, but just if it came up in one side of the conversation, that doesn't mean it came up in the other side, right? So just being very clear on that, that, that B is supposed to send his calendar link or copy her assistant or, you know, or that A is supposed to send over some document first, like just little things like that really help keep the the introduction going. Because to me, the other thing is the most painful part of an introduction. If you, I mean, if you do it wrong, it's trading each other's contact without them, you know, opting into it but even if you do that part right the most painful part is that initial couple of hours where you've read it but you don't know what you're supposed to do with it so you just let it alone right and then the other person is like are they ignoring me are they just busy what's going on here so that that little thing just again it really helps it helps quicken the pace of like when the next action is taken but it also helps people feel far less weird about you know, yeah
1: yeah yeah um, now, do you get into it? I know you have workbooks. That kind of, I don't know if they they come as part of "Friend of a Friend" the book, or if it's something you get from your website. But what kinds of stuff do you have in there that you know? Just for people that are listening, because look, look, some people may be listening, and you, I don't know what certain things that you say are gonna are gonna you know be very uh, prevalent in someone's life as they're listening right now. And maybe some, someone's listening going, I don't, I don't really need any of this. But if someone is out there listening and going, yeah, I actually want, I like what he said, but I don't know how to apply it to my particular situation. What what are those activities and worksheets? Yeah. I,
0: so, so obviously the number one thing that's going to be helpful is grabbing a, a copy of the book. Um, I'll also thank you for grabbing a copy of it. Um, and, but in the book, there's an active, so there's, there's uh, essentially 10, I think 10, I feel really weird on this. I haven't counted in a while, so I forget, but there's, there's a lot of chapters. There's either 10 or there's 12 where there's 12, which is really funny that I don't know. Um, but for every one of them, every one of them is based on a different insight. So the idea, like I started my research going to the actual people who do research in network science going, what, what, what's the, been the most, um, insightful discoveries in this field in the last 50 years, what have you. And then took sort of the most common responses and dove into those. And so the weak, the strength of weak ties is one we've been talking about a lot, but also the introduction, how to give that sort of proper introduction really um, dives into a chapter around super connectors and connections and that sort of thing. And there's, and there's eight others. So you're exactly right for some people. Some people might be really well connected, but all to people in the same community. And therefore a lot of their connections are redundant, which is a principle we call homophily, right? And each of those at the end of each chapter, there's an activity and on my site, there's a worksheet. So if you wanted to, you can grab the workbook first and there's a little write-up of the phenomenon and then here's the activity, but the activity itself and why you need to do it is going to make way more sense if you're doing it through the book. Um, If you're in that sort of non-committal, like, I don't know this guy from Adam and I've only been listening for 20 minutes. I'm not sure whatever. The other thing that we did was we recorded a, uh, a little like, audio course series. It's basically three 20 minute podcast episodes of me explaining one of them is the double opt-in and then two other um, things around how to do this from an activity-based standpoint. And so if you're listening to this, I know you already love podcasting because you're listening to this. And if you hate podcasting, then maybe you're just you know, one of Matthew's buddies and you're doing it as a favor to him. Um, but, but beyond <laughs> that, if you if you love podcasting, you'll love this too because it's straight audio. So you can just listen and that'll help you figure out what activities you can be doing and give you a sample of like what else is out there um, for you. That's called the How to Connect course. And that is on the website as well at davidburkis.com
1: Okay, cool. And then what now you had one, I don't know if it was a chapter or where I saw this, but it was best networking tools. Do you have like certain... Um, systems that you use that are your own that you've kind of like built the way you do it? Or do you actually use like a a certain email plan or a certain, you know, like, I don't know if you have an email list. Is there, is there one that you recommend to people over others or things like that?
0: yeah so that so that that is on it 's on the resources uh, page of my site, and the actually the subtle reason for that is in friend of a friend we talk about certain things that there are there are apps and tools and tricks the The biggest one that I, I am a fan of at the current moment um, is a service called contactually, which is a fantastic service that kind of monitors all of your connections and makes sure that your weak and dormant ties don't you don 't let too much time go by without reaching out to them. The reason for that specific page actually is that there's a bunch of tools. And I realized as I'm writing the book that the book is going to be around for like 10 years and can never be changed, but the tools are going to change as quickly as the internet. And so so anytime we like, we say, and there's a piece of software you can use for it. It might not even be there. It might not even be around by the time they're reading this book. So we're trying, I'm trying to like point them to, okay, if you go to this website, I will keep updating this website. It's way easier to do than updating the book. So, um, yeah, so that's on the resources page as well. Uh, the biggest one you're going to see there is contactually. Um, and then a couple other tools for what you're trying to, to keep a group together or, or what you're trying to do.
1: Got it. And what what, what is your thought on like um, email lists uh, of like, you know, blasting out stuff? to? What, what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that's one of those things that people tell you to do, but it really doesn't work? Like, What has your research found about the results of... Uh, an email list that's like, like you know, if it was an actor, it's going like, you can see me on this, you know, whatever. And you're sending it out to like everybody in your, in
0: your yeah, book. So this is, this is an area where, um, you know, I, I run an email list because I'm an author and I have readers and fans. Right. And, and as an actor, you may as, as well. Um, it, but that would, I, you know, to me, that's a different tool to keep in touch with, with fans and, and viewers and readers and that sort of thing. Then for like industry contacts, like I don't, I don't just auto sign up all my writing friends to my email list, right? Some of them have joined because they want to know what's up with me. Right. But i I'm not, I also see people like export the email addresses from LinkedIn and then throw everybody into an email list and then send out a quarterly update of what I'm doing that I didn't ask to, to get that email, et cetera. That's a little weird. Um, on the other hand, I've seen people do it right where they've actually say like, Hey, you know, in, in lieu of a a Christmas email once a year, I'm going to do a quarterly update. Would you be interested in in kind of getting that? And I've seen some people do it. Um, Jason Gaynard is a buddy of mine that does a fantastic one. Basically every quarter or so I get an email. Um, It's technically an email list software service, but there's probably only about a thousand people on it. It's not like this giant um, thing. So it's, it's doable. And some people recommend that. I truthfully think that an email list, which is a form of one to many Uh, conversation rather than one-to-one conversation is only really a good tool for fans, followers, et cetera, not for your kind of industry connections. That should usually be a one-to-one tool.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good to know. Good to hear. Um, and then what about, um, you, uh, what was it? Well, I wanted to ask you like when people, you, you know, if you're coaching someone or you're talking to someone, you know, you speak all over the place And someone comes up to you and they say, you know, I'm just, I'm just not social. I'm just not, uh, that's not my thing. I hate sales, that kind of thing. What is your advice for them? Is that, is that totally just a, they are not framing what they're doing with the right mindset or how do you kind of like help encourage people to actually carry out these things? Because what you're saying all makes perfect sense to me, but I would imagine some people just have some resistance to it. And how do you kind of talk to them about that?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it's unfortunate that the two big areas that people you know, categorize networking as our sales or career hunting, right? Both of which feel instrumental and needy and kind of swarmy, right? Because really everybody should be concerned about the network that you're in, right? Even, even, Even if you're the CEO of a company and you've been the CEO of the company for 10 years, you should still care about the network that is the organization, right? And the connections that you have to industry contacts, et cetera. Like you should always care about where you are in the network and who you need to meet and who you can help, um, in that network so i mean that would be point a that that piece of resistance is a lot of people sort of see that point i there's another way that a lot of people have a resistance to it which is they feel like it's more about well again networking to me seems like working the room and giving the perfect elevator pitch and all these things that extroverts do and i'm more introverted and this is an area that i actually think is is, there's really intriguing research on this so when you think about the extroverted person, they might be the one more likely to want to go to that uh, event and work the room and meet lots of people. And the introvert's not going to want to do that. Or if they do, they're going to have a conversation with two, maybe three people in the course of the evening, but they're going to be long, deeper conversations that are ranging over a variety of topics versus the extrovert who's working the room and collecting business cards, but you know, meets a lot of people, but doesn't know them all that well in network science. There's this phenomenon called multiplexity which is a really fancy way of saying that, that different, that people have different reasons or context for connecting, right? So you, I might know you because I mean, it, to use acting as a great example, you have that person, you know, because you acted on a show with them, but then you also have that person, you know, because you go to the gym together or you see each other, uh, you live in the same neighborhood or you whatever, right? And sometimes those overlap. So that buddy that you go to the gym with is also on the show with you right now. You have multiple contexts for connection. That's multiplexity. That when there's more than one reason for why you keep that relationship going, that's multiplexity. You're more likely to find those commonalities that lead to multiplexity when you're having longer, deeper conversations over topics that range more often. So this is actually an area where I really feel like introverts have the advantage in the long term. Sure, they're not going to grow their collection of people that they have been introduced to at some point in their life um, faster than an extrovert however the people that they do know they're going to know a little bit better they're going to know a little bit more about them and they're going to be able to create a little bit more value over the long term because of that multiplexity phenomenon
1: yeah yeah now what now what do you find in terms of in your studies about introverts and extroverts i whenever i hear I feel like I've heard a lot on different podcasts. I've read about this. You know, some people say, oh, I'm a total introvert. I'm a total extrovert. I I sometimes feel like there's, I mean, in the studies, are there people that are a hybrid? Because I feel like depending on the context, I could be one or the other. Because sometimes I'm that guy you just described who goes somewhere and I don't want to get into small talk. So I just like hook in with one person and I could talk to them for two hours, you know, and get to know a lot about them. And then sometimes I'm just, you know, it's just very surface and all around. And I mean, do you find that or do you or do studies find that someone is one or the other? What,
0: how yeah, does- so they're definitely not one or the other. So, I mean, that, it's hard to answer this question without going on this giant rant about how most personality tests out there are junk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the consensus of personality psychology at, at this moment in time, science is always changing, is that there are not personality types there are personality dimensions, right? So the, the most well-known are in personality psychology what we call the big five, which are um, openness to experience, conscientiousness, extroversion versus introversion, uh, agreeableness and neuroticism. You don't really need to know what all of those are, but what you do need to know is that they are not A, B types, right? You get things like the Myers-Briggs, which is a totally, you know, piece of junk test that basically takes dimensions and says you're one or the other. And of that, there are 16 categories because they have four dimensions. I could, I could point you to a really fascinating um, episode of Adam ruins everything that actually does a great job pointing out what's psychologically wrong with that particular test in personality psychology in the big five. those five are dimensions. You score along a range. And so introversion and extroversion is a great example. There are not if you scored 51% on this test, you are an extrovert. And if you're 49, you're an introvert. It doesn't work like that. You exist along sort of a, I'm making the the percentages up, but a a continuum, let's say of one to a hundred. And so yeah, a 100 is going to be one and a a zero is going to be another, but most people exist along the spectrum. And this is where like Adam Grant has done a good job popularizing this research that upwards of 80% of people are what he would call an ambivert. Actually, it might be 60% of people. It's either 60 or 80 an ambervert, someone who can move back and forth between the two. Right, so that's exactly what you're describing. You're probably closer to the middle of the continuum than somebody that leans one way um, or or the other, which is good. That flexibility is a is a very good skill to have. You could tolerate working the room a little bit longer, um, or you can tolerate the deep conversation a little bit a little bit longer, and that's that's really good. That's that's an advantage uh, for sure. But wherever you exist along the the continuum, there is a tactic and a, or a strategy and a tactic that will work well for you.
1: Right. Right and and um now you have as uh, something else that i saw um uh that you had written, you know, work friends make us more productive, except when they stress us out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So this actually dives into some of the research around, uh, multiplexity. So a lot of us sort of, you know, we dump people as work contacts or sort of real friends. And then there are these gray relationships where they're, they kind of are real friends. Like even if we quit that job, we'd stay in touch with them and what have you. Um, uh, so those, those would be those multiplex connections and you know the interesting thing is when you look at uh, productivity performance evaluations and what have you the people with more work friends in an organization they tend to win over the long term they probably I mean the theory is that because they have more and more multiplex connections it's more likely that they'll be able to enlist others to help them on their projects Etc. Yeah. Um, the challenge is that it complicates the relationship a little bit. If you've got a multiplex connection with, uh, some, someone that you work with and she gets a promotion instead of you, it complicates the friendship, right? So, so there's some, some drawbacks to it, but unquestionably in terms of work and performance, uh, careers get better with friends. Life is a team sport and the research sort of supports that.
1: Yeah. No, I've definitely, I've found that, um, in my field, you know, I've been in the last few years, some schools will ask me to go speak to, uh, students that are just graduating from MFA programs and they're just about to go out into the, the acting workforce, you know? And that's one of my biggest things that I say is where I feel really lucky is that I still have, um, people that I met when I was back in New York and we were really just kind of slugging it out. And and those those relationships are huge, huge, especially in an industry that's known for rejection. Um, to have people that have that shared experience over such a long period of time, they've seen your ups, they've seen your downs, they've shared theirs. There's uh, There's not really jealousy when the other one Uh, goes up, you're actually excited for them. And then they lift you up, you lift them up. It's, it's, it's gigantic for, in my industry, I think it's gigantic because you, you can, you can be in jeopardy of feeling like you're on an Island when you're just, you know, going in and, and being told no for a living. Um, So that sense of community is really important. And that's kind of really sounds like your area of expertise. Um, Yeah.
0: I mean, I, the, uh, one of my good friends and, and my, one of my two speaking coaches along with his wife, uh, Amy, it was Michael Port who worked in theater and in television for a long time. And he actually tells this funny story of the first time that a friend of his invited him out for drinks and she had a show and he didn't. And so she bought the drinks and she said, this is what you got to know about the industry. Whoever's working buys the drinks and friends get friends work. (laughs) Right. <laughs> right. Which yeah. I think that second one is, is obviously the more important lesson. Right. And I don't know. I mean, again, like you said, it's it's such a getting no, especially told no is such a solitary and isolating feeling. I don't know how people do it without a, a sort of a network of friends. And again, I think that would be the biggest ambition for me for a book like Friend of a Friend is that we change it to be about your friends, not about your network and not about networking and all of these terms that have a bad taste in your mouth. It's just about keeping up with your friends, your close friends, your distant friends, your, you know, your weak Thai friends, your dormant Thai friends, your friends that are different from you and your friends are the same. Life is far better uh, and work is far better with all of those people in your life. So why wouldn't you try and work on it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, that's the other thing is, um, you know, we always say in my industry, it's like, you know, find, find your people because there are cert- there's a certain way that we all like to work. And you, when you find Others that have a, a similar approach to the work it it just ends up being uh, more collaborative more more productive um, you're you're all more inspired if you're working kind of in a in a similar way or share similar goals. Um, so uh, I, I'm going to be respectful of your time. I, I don't want to keep you longer. I know you have something you're, you're running to. Um, you've been speaking. You have this big TED Talk, which seems like it was a little, a little while ago, but it, it, it looks like uh, you've been doing a lot of keynote speaking. How do you, um, you know, first of all, what's next for you or where could people look for you? Um, and, and, and how do you kind of shuffle back and forth between writing, you know, books? And and articles and and speaking. How do you do that? Is it whichever one is hot at the time you'll go there, or do you specifically kind of like map that out in a certain way?
0: Yeah, um, I, I guess I'll, I'll answer the second half of that question first. It's probably the at least I found the rhythm that works for me is what I would imagine is very similar to. Uh, like bands and the idea that you've got to write an album and then you've got to go on tour. So generally what I found is you publish a book and I mean, I, I, thus far i haven't published this sort of mega bestseller jk rowling james patterson level books uh you know if if people want to help me out and buy a couple copies and hand them out that would that would help but (laughs) we haven't gotten that so what you find is that you write a book and then there's about a 18 month to three year kind of window of relevancy where people are reading the book and inviting you to come in and speak or work with their company or coach them or, or whatever attention that that idea generates and then it's time to go back in the studio and make another album, right? Um, so that's kind of the, the way that we we do that rhythm. A lot of the articles actually come out of the flow of writing the book, right? And then we just sort of adapt and sort of the things. So those are easier to do while you're in the midst of speaking, which is where we're headed, um, that season that we're headed into. And then, you know, I've got a couple ideas, none of which I've had long conversations with my literary agent or my editors about. So we'll see what the, the next book looks like, but that's not what I'm focused on now. It's, it's focused on, you know, going on tour. Yeah. Um, in terms of easiest place to find me, actually, if you're listening to this, the absolute easiest place to find me are going to be the show notes for this episode, because I know you're going to link to like davidberkus.com and all those resources anyway. But, but if you're listening to this, you should be a fan of, of you, not me, right? So, so support him, support the 10,000 Notes podcast, go to the show notes for that episode, then you'll get everything you need.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for for giving me a plug. I want to give you a plug. Um listen, man, thank you so much for for sitting down with me. It's really valuable information. I I think uh people will have uh, tons of takeaways as I did after I heard you speak to Jordan Harbinger and um and I'm I know that your cause here will uh influence um a good group of good group of people that hopefully I can, you know, uh introduce you to here just through this forum. So thank you for, for being so generous.
0: Oh, thank you so much for having me and for sharing me with your audience. Absolutely.
1: Okay, guys. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, you know, definitely let me know uh whether it's, you know, comments on social media or if you want to email me info at Let me know what you think of an episode like this where I bring someone in to talk about their expertise rather than the origin story. I I won't do it all of the time. I'm kind of more into the other, but I feel like this is like a little educational um, episode that is not a bad thing for the listeners uh, of this podcast. I think it could be helpful. Um, As I said in the beginning, I love David's plain-spoken approach and um, what I consider to be my top takeaway is make it about your friends, not about your quote network and not about quote networking and all these terms that leave a bad taste in your mouth. It's, it's just about keeping up with your friends, your close friends, your distant friends that for whatever reason, you may not have been in touch with for a while. And life is far better. Your work is far better with all these people in your life, so why wouldn't you try to work on it? That's what David said, and I think that's kind of a great way to put it. And most important, I love that he said, be a good person, you know, and it'll come back to you without you expecting it. It's just, it's kind of simple. Be a good person. Don't be an a-hole. You know what I mean? (laughs) just like, and don't, and and you don't always have to have an angle and, and have that you're trying to get something from everybody else. Think about it. Like I'm going to give first. And then if I get back, awesome. That's great. But if you don't go into these things, people can smell it, you know, they can smell it from a thousand miles away. You want something from them. And it's annoying. It's annoying when someone comes at you and they're trying to, you know, I'm sure I've been guilty of it. I'm sure there's someone out there that actually probably doesn't listen to this podcast because I probably annoyed the crap out of them. But more, more earlier in my career, where you know you, you're like you're so like hungry and you want it so bad, and you're like, well, what, what can I get? What can I get? And it's just like, come on, man, just just maybe go do the work and bring something of value to that person that you, you know, give before you get. So I love that, that David really, that was kind of the the big, big takeaway out of all this stuff. You can talk about science all you want, but that's at underneath it at its core. That's what it's about. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation. You got something out of it. And if so, please tell your friends, um, they, tell them to subscribe, check out 10,000 No's. And uh, if you haven't subscribed and you just popped in here for this, or maybe you're listening from the website or whatever, I don't know how you guys got here, but I think the best way to do it is, you know, go on iTunes and subscribe, or if you're a Spotify person, go on Spotify and subscribe. Um, If you can leave a review, awesome. I mean, it definitely helps. And uh, just tell people about it. I really appreciate it. And I will see you next Friday. Thanks.